This episode of Aftermath was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging, and that sovereignty was never ceded. The droughts, fires, floods and now pandemic have impacted ecosystems and communities across the country. I'm Eve Brennan and this is Aftermath. Plants form the foundation of life on land. We eat them, they filter our water and our air, they sequester carbon, and they even improve our mental health. Australian bush life is unique on Earth, and that includes all the amazing plants. So for this first episode, I sat down with Brett Summerall of the Royal Botanical Gardens in Sydney. We talked about how plants regenerate and recover after fire, and what the typical timelines are. We also talked about what was different, in particular, how the severe drought in the lead up to the fires affected what burned and how severely it burned. In terms of recovery, it's also important to note that for different plant species, it takes different timelines to recover. A lot of the Australian bush is really resilient to fire and they're already bouncing back, but that's not the case for all of our plants. Some take up to 100 years to recover. And so I talked to Brett about what we can do to give the Australian bush the best chance of recovery. I really enjoyed talking with Brett. He's a really interesting guy. And part of why I enjoyed this chat in particular is that as we were recording, a huge thunderstorm rolled over Brett's house. So forgive the rumbles of thunder in the background, but know that the rain is bringing much needed water to fire affected ecosystems. I'm here today with Brett Summerall, who's the Director of Research in the Royal Botanical Gardens. Uh, Brett, welcome. Pleasure. Before we start, would you mind just introducing us to who you are and what you do and what you love about plants? Um, so I'm, uh, a, as you said, I'm the Director of Research and Chief Botanist at the, the Royal Botanic Gardens here in Sydney. Um, my job is... Uh, to be, I suppose, an advocate for plant conservation and to conduct some research in my, my areas of speciality, which is mainly around plant diseases, and basically to, to communicate why plants are important to people and why they, they, you know, they should care about them. Uh, I've been at the gardens for 31-odd years now, so um, I've uh, been living with plants for a very long time. So you've been studying Australian plants for well, longer than 31 years. Uh, what do you think are the main changes that you've observed in plant life in Australia in that time? Uh, I'm not sure that there's been that many observable changes in plant life over that period of time. You know, 30 years is a very short period of time and when you talk about the, the flora of a country. But certainly we've seen them uh, being impacted by a whole range of activities over that period of time. We're starting now to see the impact of uh, climatic changes with reduced rainfall, higher temperatures, uh, and the higher frequency of bushfires, which are having a, a pretty devastating effect on on Australian plants. Uh, and we've seen, you know, the the concern people have for them wax and wane a bit over that period of time. 
um, as well. So I think, you know, there's been periods of times when people have been really keen on Australian plants, periods of times when they haven't been, have been less so. Uh, so it, it's my role is to try and make people aware of the, of the you know, how amazing plants the plants are, of plant life of Australia is and how important they are for their future and, and for their health and well-being. That's great. And so you touched on the fires, but before we get to the fires, you do study diseases. Yes. And so what are the main diseases that affect Australian plants and how can our listeners and Australians everywhere help prevent them? Um, it's a really interesting um, thing to, to talk about how um, plants like us, as we're seeing now, are affected by a whole range of different um, organisms that cause disease. So just like us, they get all sorts of diseases and, and in some cases get viral diseases. But most of the diseases that we're concerned about with um, all plants, with Australian plants as well, are, are fungal diseases um, uh, that affect different parts of the plants, plant system. So over the period of time that I've been working, we've seen a, a few new diseases being introduced into the country. So biosecurity and quarantine are really, really important in those circumstances. Um, so we've, we live with a whole range of different pathogens that affect Australian plants. So things like Phytophthora, which the Latin name literally means plant destroyer, uh, a big problem that probably came in in the early days of the colony uh, through to diseases like myrtle rust, which is a disease that affects um, plants in the eucalypt plant family that was introduced into the country just um, in uh, 2010. So they can be quite recent, um, quite old, and then we know that there's quite a few diseases that are, are sitting in other countries that we know could affect Australian plants and could have a devastating, equally devastating impact on, on the survival of a whole bunch of, of um, plants. So my job over that period of time is to be able to work out what the impact of those diseases will be on, on Australian plants and how we might battle them, um, control them, or at least protect the plants that are being impacted by them. The Australian bush is widely assumed to be adaptive to fire. I did my undergrad in Tasmania, so I'm well aware that that is not a safe assumption for all plant communities around Australia. How are Australian plant communities widely adapted to tolerate fire? And what makes these bushfires that we've seen, particularly last summer, but also in recent years, what makes these fires different to the sorts of fires that Australian plants are adapted to? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a good question. A lot of our flora is, is quite well adapted to um, survive fires of a, of a certain intensity and frequency. Um, we do have ecosystems that are not at all adapted to fire. So these can include um, species that are found in rainforests um, in particular, but also places like swamps, uh, some of our alpine flora, um, different species in different areas that are not expected. They don't expect to have fire in their environment, and so they're not well adapted at all. But if you look at a lot of the flora across the country, there are lots of species that are well adapted to fire. And there's a caveat on that, of course, but they're well adapted to fire in that they can respond after fire to be able to have regrowth, to produce new seeds from new seedlings from seed that might be um, stimulated to germinate in soil in areas where the fire has impacted upon them, or they'll produce um, what they call epicormic growth, which are special buds that hide between behind the, 
the bark so that once the fire goes through those areas, they'll burst through the bark and produce a lot of new growth. And, and some species will, will disperse this seed in response to fire. So there's a range of different adaptations that really can be quite effective uh, following fire. But of course, there's a lot of species that if the fire is too intense, is too hot, um, you'll have an almost sterilizing effect. We're getting a lovely big storm coming through here now. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> you might get a, a little bit of thunder and lightning in the background. So there, there are species where, where if the fire is too intense, they'll get um, effectively killed. The soil may well be, if it's hot enough, get almost sterilized, at least on the surface part of it. And, and some of those species may not be able to well be well adapted. One of the problems that we're seeing now is that we're getting quite a lot of intense high temperature fires and that can have that problem of sterilizing or killing the plant. And we're, we're getting periods of times when the fire frequency is too short together so that there's not a period of time between when the, the plants are impacted by the fire and so that there's time for them to flower. Flower. Wow. <laughs> produce seed and that gets dispersed so that uh, we uh, we then start to see a new generation. If that period is too short, then of course there's just not the time to produce, um, to grow, to produce flowers, to produce seed and then have a new generation ready to go. Okay. And so you've been out at Mount Toma this week. How is the bush starting to regenerate out there and what sort of things are you seeing in terms of the re-sprouting and the regeneration? Um, we're, we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing a lot of regeneration in that, er in, in that area. So the eucalypts, the big gum trees, the angophoras and, and, and gum trees out there, they're producing lots of this epicormic growth, as I was um, talking about. And so there's lots of new shoots and they've got this appearance of, of this furry growth all over them. That is now starting to provide food for some some different types of creatures. Um, banksias and the like are producing the similar sort of growth. The grass trees are growing. Uh, <laughs> the grass trees are producing a lot of new growth. I don't know how that came down down in terms of in your headphones, but yeah, and there's a lot of spe a lot of species that are, are are producing all that new growth. And when you start to explore the so the surface of the soil, you can see a lot of a lot of seedlings coming through. Yeah, a lot of lot of different species are germinating and starting to grow. So there's there's a lot of life there. It's really quite encouraging and and really really quite reassuring when you walk through those areas and see all the new growth happening. But there are some species that are you know the trees have been killed. Um, so it'll, there'll be winners and there'll be losers in all of this sort of um, regrowth. And in terms of plant bushfire recovery as well, you get the there's particular types of plants that re-sprout or germinate really quickly, and then there are other plants that take a bit of time in order to uh, grow again. How long does it take for those slower growing plants? to recover from a bushfire like this? Yeah, that's a good question. In some cases, it may be, you know, hundreds of years almost from that point of view. And in some cases, you know, some of the eucalypts, we were seeing new growth after three weeks. It was amazingly quick. It was it was helped by the fact that it was raining and, and that we had, um, you know, a good fall of rain, really inundated with rain in, in some of those areas that were badly affected. But in other areas like rainforests, in order for for new trees to grow, particularly if the trees are killed, 
the problem with trees in rainforests is that they have very thin bark and they can't withstand the high temperatures that you get with a with a fire going through those areas. So the trees, the, the mature trees will be killed. And and as a result, uh, you you'll it'll take a very, very long period of time for those forests to recover and for those species to recover. So it can be anything from a, a matter of weeks to a matter of tens or or in some cases they talk about you know being taking a, a hundred years for it to recover. The recovery of the bush is uh, recovery of different species can be um, really very quickly quick, or it can take you know de- literally decades for it to, for the bush to recover. Okay, so we've touched on rainforests a couple of times already in terms of how they're not really adapted to tolerate fire. I thought I'd start off by saying for our international listeners in particular, we have a uh, World Heritage Areas um, of Gondwanian rainforest all the way down the New South Wales coast. Would you mind talking about why those Gondwanian rainforests are so important and what sort of things we've seen in terms of rainforests and how they burned last summer? So the Gondwanian rainforests that we have still have existing um, in particularly in eastern Australia, there's a, there's only a, a sort of handful of percentage of the, the former distribution of those rainforests left. But they were once more widespread across whole parts of um, eastern and southern Australia and also into areas like connected up into Antarctica and, and across into New Zealand and through Tasmania. So what we have left is relics that have been diminishing and diminishing in size over thousands of years particularly millions of years and thousands of years, uh, particularly as Australia has moved north with continental drift into warmer parts of the of the, the planet. So the continent generally has got more arid, less frequent rainforests. Those rainforests have, have shrunk in size and they're now um, quite small, um, have been cleared a lot over the last couple of hundred years and also much more threatened. They, they contain an amazing diversity of species. Probably they're a real biodiversity hotspot and with a huge diversity of different plant species, different tree species, and from that point of view, really uh, important to preserve and conserve. So at the talk where I met you, you showed us a picture of the Gondwanian rainforest in Nightcap National Park, and it was quite extraordinary of how the impact of land management had impacted on its ability to not just recover from bushfires, but actually block it. Would you mind talking a bit about how these rainforests act as, you know, a bit of a fire break to some fires? It's also worth reflecting that we've had extraordinarily dry weather, you know, quite an extended extreme drought leading up to these um, last fires. And, and that's been a huge, had a huge impact on, on the survival of these plants and how dry these habitats got. So normally we would not expect these ecosystems to to burn at all to be in a situation where they're burned because they're so wet but we we know it it is fairly clear that depending on the different type of land management practices that are used particularly things like logging or weed infestations or whatever or clearing that that can have an impact on the the likelihood of an area to burn so it's one of those things where we've got to be very careful about ensuring that we allow the forest to develop and maintain its own internal climate, which is usually very wet, so that it will resist and provide a buffer against these fires progressing too far. In response to you 
the fires, the Royal Botanical Gardens of Sydney launched their No Plants, No Animals campaign, which I went and saw a bit and it featured pretty great koalas made of plants in the actual botanical gardens. But would you mind talking about what that campaign's really about and how everyday Australians can get involved? Yeah, so, I mean, it stems from a recognition that's happened, uh, that's been becoming more and more aware over um, recent times is that people do tend to forget about the plants uh, when they're looking at environments or looking at ecosystems, they, they see this green stuff and then they might they might see an animal or they care about an animal. But of course, in order to be able to, to save, you know, a koala or save whatever it is, creatures that you're, you're wanting to do, it's important to have that habitat, which is plants. So it's about trying to overcome that's that concept that we call plant blindness, that people care about the koalas, care about all the animals, but they don't care about so much about the plants. So it's making people aware that plants are the key thing if you want to do something about preserving these environments, preserving these amazing creatures like koalas. So we've been focused on trying to make people more aware about it, to, to make them care about looking after all these amazing plants so that then we can actually have a um, effective protection of, of organisms like creatures like um, koalas or birds or whatever because they all depend on plants. When it all comes back down to it, we all depend on plants. Absolutely. And so coming back to the plants, what are the most effective ways that people can help plants moving forward to give them the absolute best chance of survival uh, in both their recovery but also dealing with potentially more intense and more frequent bushfires? Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of a lot of stuff. So the Botanic Gardens all around the country are um, really looking to increase their activity in, in collecting seed, um, particularly of those species that might be getting heavily impacted by fires. So if we get to that worst-case scenario where, we, um, where a, a species might be wiped out by a bushfire uh, or some other impact, we at least have seed in our seed banks and our seed vaults so that we can go in there and, and propagate them up and grow them. So, you know, the, the first thing, I suppose, is supporting about botanic gardens and the programs that they do, which is about trying to conserve all of those species. But if people are interested in doing things, getting more practically involved, there are a range of great ways in which they can get involved. There's a lot of bush regeneration organisations that do really wonderful work in bush ecosystems, uh, and we're really starting to see the those weeds invade our natural ecosystems and, and stop the plants from regenerating and revegetating those areas. So bush regeneration is a fantastic activity to get involved with. You're out there, you're you're weeding organisms, you're weeding um, ecosystems, getting rid of all the bad guys and giving the the good guys a chance to to um, to regrow and and to to produce flowers and seed to further their um, the, the generations of plants. If people are out, are out in the bush, there's a couple of thing, other things they can do. One thing we really want to make sure that people don't do is introduce some of those nasty diseases into those environments. So um, like you're doing with your, your hand sanitizers at the moment, we'd like, really like people to make sure they do a bit of hand, a bit of sanitizing of their boots and their clothes before they go in the bush. So a spray of 70% metho on your, sh on your shoes before you head into the bush will stop you potentially introducing pathogens uh, into the bush, so do that. 
and, and it'll also help to, to prevent the introduction of weeds into the bush as well. And um, if you're uh, one of these people that likes to get involved in, in citizen science programs, there's a fantastic program through iNaturalist. Uh, you can find the app for iNaturalist on your, on your favourite um, app stores. And there's a program called the Environmental Recovery Program, uh, which was initiated out of some, some people, uh, researchers at the University of New South Wales, where people are documenting the recovery of the bush all around Australia just by taking photos and uploading them to the iNaturalist platform and then putting them in the different categories so that we can start to get an idea of what different species, what different groups of plants are doing in terms of their recovery so that we have that really good documented resource. That's the wonderful thing about most of the smartphone systems now is that they're, um, they're geolocated and they're date located so we have all of that metadata behind there that we can start to do some cool things with in terms of analysis. So there are a few of the things that people can do. Yeah, and as, as a person that's been the data analyst of citizen science data from mobile phones before, can I please put in a recommendation that you really thoroughly read the instructions of what the scientists are looking for and fill out the form accordingly because that will give them a lot of help in the long run. The fires moved through in January. It's now March. What is giving you hope for the future of the Australian bush? You mentioned that generation and the rains. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the most important thing that we had and that we've got happening now uh, is, is um, rain coming through. So, you know, and in a lot of the fire grounds, we've had really some of the most substantial rains that we've seen for, for quite a few years, actually. Um, and so up at Mount Toma, for example, you know, we had nearly half a metre of rain fall over a few days. Wow. Um, and that good, decent rain is just amazing in terms of, of the recovery of the bush. So uh, that's been fantastic. And that has really helped a lot of the plant species to, re to, re to start to recover. Um, so it's pretty resilient uh, from that point of view. So we're seeing lots of fantastic growths, lots of new things coming up, lots of different organisms starting to come back. I was there on at Mount Tomar on Monday and I could hear black cockatoos, I could hear uh, gangangs, uh, a range of different rosellas and different species, a lot of different bird species. And in the smaller, you know, there were insects, um, different types of insects shooting around everywhere. Uh, and the lizards and, and reptiles, other reptiles, were really going um, quite well. And there was a lot of frog activity, uh, as you'd expect with um, once you start to see good, decent rain. So that that's really very encouraging. There'll be some um, ecosystems that'll take much longer to recover, and we've got to be really diligent about ensuring that they're not going to get burnt again. So that's uh, over the, the appropriate period of time, so that's going to take a bit of work. Um, but we're seeing, we really are seeing a lot of really good new growth coming through, um, new species coming through. Um, our seed collectors have been out recently um, in some of the areas that either weren't burnt, and in a couple of cases we're in areas that were burnt 12 months ago. And um, it's quite interesting in those areas, we're seeing quite a few species producing large masses of flowers and seeds so that we're... Um, we're able to collect species that we haven't seen for quite a period of time. So we will see that happening um, right across the fire grounds, those species that are just not have not been uh, recorded for quite a period of time. Okay, Brett, thanks so much for coming on. It's my pleasure.
thanks again to Brett for coming on. I really enjoyed talking to him and learned so much about the Australian bush life. Next week, we're still going to be talking about the ecosystems and how they were affected by fire. But we're going to be talking about plants and animals with Jodie Gunn of Bush Heritage Australia. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. This episode of Aftermath was produced by Mark Spencer, Maddie Charrington and me, Eve Brennan. We're part of the Climactic Collective. Music is by Hayley Meadows. You can find links to us on social media as well as our Patreon page in the show notes. Thanks again and I'll talk to you next week. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio. Studio.